My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you here. We're going to begin a series today on um, the parables of Christ. It will probably take us through the balance of the summer. Not quite sure how long, but uh, I want us to understand how Jesus communicated and what it meant for people to understand his communication style. And we're going to start today with the first parable, which was the parable of the sower. In Mark 4, verse 13, Jesus said to the disciples, if you don't get this one, you can't get anything else I'm going to say. So this was foundational for their ministry and understanding. So turn with me over to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. Matthew 13, 1 through 9. The title of the message is Parables of Jesus. Sowers sow, hearts prepare. Sowers sow, hearts prepare. Verse 1 of Matthew 13. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things, verse 3, in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among along the path, and the birds of the air came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, verse 5, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still others, other seed fell on good soil, where it had produced a crop. 30, 60, and 100 times that which was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Lord, help us as we study. Jesus spoke in parables, and the disciples didn't even understand why. They came to him and said, why don't you speak plainly? Why do you speak in parables? And he said, because I'm trying to conceal some things of great value that those who have a diligent mind to inquire will have access to, but those who aren't interested don't get. You go out in the parking lot, you might see some stones on the pavement. You dig in the little islands that are around where the lights are and the plants, you might find some more rocks. But I doubt through all of your digging you will ever find a 20-carat diamond out there or a two-pound gold bar. They're in the earth. They just aren't out there. They're so valuable that somebody has said, I'm going to hide that from everybody else because they might want it. It's either in the earth or in somebody's vault. Things of value are intentionally concealed because people might take them and use them for other purposes that, that they were intended. There are so many valuable things that God has to say. The last thing he wants to do is share them with everybody and some of which would not use them for the purposes for which he intended. And so he conceals them. And only those who have a diligent mind to figure out what he's trying to say are vigilant enough to figure it out. They search. They dig. They take out all their tools and say, let me figure what God is trying to say to me. Others just say, I can't figure that out at all. As I read through scripture, I remember what it was like 
for me to read scripture and not understand a thing I was reading. 35 years ago, before I was right with God, I would religiously read my Bible in hopes that God would somehow bless me because of it. I'd always read it before a big football game. Read it before a big test. Thinking that somehow it was like my Aladdin's lamp. And God, like a genie, would pop out and grant me my wish. I even tried to bargain with him. You ever bargain with God? Yeah, yeah. The problem with it is that we are so myopic that we think it could work. When you bargain with someone, don't you have to have something they want? (laughs) Something of value that they desire? You're bargaining with what with God? God, if you, if you like, give me, give me the, an A on this test, I'll go to church. Oh, wow. How can I pass that up? You mean you're going to do what I want you to do anyway? What you're required to do anyway? And you think somehow that's going to work? I'll read my Bible. You're supposed to. And even if we were inclined to think that that was a good deal, what would God get out of it? We would get something out of it. There would be reciprocal benefit for us, but he gets very little out of us showing up to church or reading his Bible. There's no direct benefit to him. It's all for us. So why do we bargain, thinking that somehow we've got something of value that he needs He needs nothing and bargaining never works. Now, the the amazing thing about God is that every once in a while, he lets us think it does. He'll go ahead and answer our request. And the problem is this. We rarely pay up. We make all these promises. And we hardly ever come through. He's amazing. We're not. He spoke in parables so he could intentionally conceal some things so that only those who wanted to diligently inquire about him would find the reward. And I want to talk to you on four points today and then one additional. The four points are the seed fell on the street, the seed fell among the stones, the seed fell in the stickers. That's what we used to call them when we were growing up, the thorns. And the seed fell on satisfactory soil. Yet there's one other aspect here that I want to minister to that's aside from where the seed falls. It's the the one who is sowing it. We're called to be sowers. People that amass seed and then distribute it. There's no question that my job responsibility calls me to be a sower. I get that. But I'm called to be a sower for other reasons than being paid to to do it. I'm called to be a sower because I'm a Christian. People need to receive seed. They need to have things growing in their life that are initiated by God. And presently, their garden's a mess. They don't have anything that proves that somehow God is in their life. They need to have this because it's going to help them. We're all called to sow. We're all called to plant, every one of us. We say, Pastor, I don't know if I have all the scriptures necessary. I realize that. I got it. I spend my life reading my Bible. But you have a story. 
And I, I'm not going to let you off that easy. You need to read your Bible how often, church? Every day. I'm a broken record with respect to that. You need to read your Bible every day so that you will have the information necessary to share with people who need to know what you say you don't know now. How are you going to get it if you don't read your Bible? Read your Bible every day so that you will have something when somebody needs it. You'll be able to have some seed in your bag to sow into their life. Read your Bible every day. And don't tell me you're too busy. Stop doing whatever is making you too busy to read your Bible. But in the reading of your Bible, I just don't want you smarter. I want you better. Better. Intellect is important. Being smart is better than being dumb. So please read your Bible. And if all you do is become less dumb, that is great. But the goal is to become better, not just smarter. God help us. And better allows us the privilege to grow on the inside, to care about other things more than ourselves. Which flows right into the reason why you need to sow. Because you love people. You care about people. And the only way they are going to be fixed, their problems adequately addressed, is if somebody sows truth into their life as an antidote to their issue. If you love people, you will sow. You will plant in their life. It's that time of year for me. I just planted my garden again. And uh, if you're here in this church long enough, you will get this same little message every year around May or June. And I do it because I love my wife. Now, she has wonderfully let me off the hook this year and said, you don't have to plant it, but I still love my wife, so I plant the garden. This is her garden. This is Cynthia's garden that Brett plants. And I'm out there turning over every shovel full of soil. It's a good four to five hundred feet worth of square foot. You gotta just turn over. And that's that's a little garden, but it's 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 larger than I'm comfortable planting. It requires effort. And there are there as I've said every year, there are there are smart trees in my neighborhood. I've got a sermon I prepared called Competition for Resources. I, the only place I could put this garden was in, 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 in the woods. Because all of my, my yard goes like this, goes up and down. There's, there's no place to put a garden except if I cleared trees and bushes and brush and planted it right in the woods. And so I did that. But I, I cleared as few trees as I needed to, lest I clear the entire forest. And so there are trees that are a good 15, 20 feet away from my garden. And I, I'm out there with a shovel digging, uh, you know, and, I, and, and people ask me, why in the world don't you use a rototiller? Well, rototillers work if you don't have roots. They'll, they'll turn over stones. But if you have roots, all they do is just bounce on the roots. And, and I clear out the roots with a shovel and a spade and all kinds of things, pulling them up. But every year there are more roots that show up. I mean, if you go into my garden right now, I have cleared it completely. But next year there will be roots an inch thick that have made their way back into my garden. Now I have to control myself here because I go from preaching to complaining. <laughs> made their way back into my garden. Why? Because trees 
seem to be smart. It's like they have a conversation with all their other fellow trees. They're, this dude waters his spot, and he fertilizes it. Go get some lunch. And they send their root systems down into my little garden. And every year, I've got to turn over these massive roots. And I mean, when they get an inch thick, I've gone to complain, and I'm sorry. When they get an inch thick, they're like 12 feet long once they get to the end. And you start here, and you pull, it just goes all the way across here. And then you start pulling and cutting it. Why do I do all that? Because I love my wife. After I finish that, I plant seeds in hopes of producing a harvest that will make my wife happy. Who do you love? And how much sacrifice are you willing to make in order to sow into their garden? How much do you love your friends? How much do you care? Is it all about keeping the relationship so copacetic and unoffensive, non-tense, that you don't want to bring up anything that might cause hindrance in the free-flowing that you've got going on. How much do you love them? Are you willing to sow into their life? Are you willing to, to do some things, help them pull up some roots and stones and all kinds of stuff that compete and prohibit the, the good harvest God wants to bring how much do you love them? We're all called to be sowers. And if you don't have the Bible down as you'd like, you have a story. You've got something to share about how much Jesus has done for you. He brought you out of darkness to light. He made your wrecked marriage whole, helped your kids, healed your body, gave you a better job. If you don't have any of that to share, he saved you from hell. He forgave you of your sin so that you don't have to suffer for it anymore. He died on the cross for you, so you didn't have to die there. You have a story to tell. You may not have chapter and verse, but you are responsible to sow. And unfortunately, too many of us... See, we all have seed. You've got seed. As I just said, you've got a story to, to, to share. And every time you come here, you get more seed. My job is to fill your little seed basket. You get more and more seed. But the problem is, the seed you get, you usually eat. You consider it for yourself. And so you consume it. You go home and you might meditate on it a little bit and get in the Word and re-listen to the podcast or the video cast. And, oh, that's just fabulous. That is so good. That's great. And then you grind it up and you make it into a bread cake and you start eating on it for a long period of time. You just start growing and maturing on the inside. And, and, but nobody is getting the benefit outside. You might be growing, but it's important for others to hear. God gives seed for sowing and bread for food. How did the bread get there? Because some of the seed was ground up to make bread. God doesn't mind if some of this stuff is for you. He wants you to grow, but not all of it. Give something to somebody else. By the way, is, is giving a foreign idea to you in Christianity? Is it not one of the purposes of us remaining on the planet is to be givers and sowers and distributors of what God has given rather than just reservoirs and holders and takers? You're called to be a sower. Love people. Give them something they don't have. Four places where the seed fell. At first, 
fell on the street. See, the thing about sowing is that, is that it's indiscriminate. You just cast it out there. It's not about planting, though planting is good. And planting and sowing can be, uh, you know, interchangeable terms. They're kind of synonymic, and that's fine. But Jesus wants to, to, to give a description of how broadcast-oriented this message ought to be. That we just ought not do it in such a way that we are targeting, but we ought to make sure that others can hear what we have to say. I've intentionally gone to the streets to sow. Between the ages of, I don't know, 24 and 28, we go down, and our, our church was in D.C. at the time, and we go down Wisconsin and M. Anybody know where that is? Georgetown. Used to be a Riggs Bank there, and there was a wall right at the intersection uh, and, and th- that was separating the sidewalk from the parking lot of Riggs Bank, Riggs Bank. I'd stand up on the wall and just start preaching to people on Saturday night. Now, many of you all are saying, do I still want to be a part of this church? Because when people did that, I saw, I walked on the other side of the street. Whatever idea of dignity you might have about what this position holds, I hope I just destroyed it for you. I'd do that tomorrow if that was my primary outreach focus. I've jumped out of planes to preach the gospel with a parachute. It was to advertise a Bible study with a group of people I was having. There are very few things I won't do to get, get this message out to people. And as I was standing up there on the street corner preaching, people would walk by, and I, I would talk to them just like this. I wasn't vile. I wasn't railing at them. I wasn't harsh. I was very conversational. And many of them would just ignore it, walk on by. But every once in a while, we'd lead somebody to Jesus. Sometimes the seed fell on the street. But when it falls on the path, it's the responsibility of the path to make sure it changes the constitution of what it is to become soil. Back then, they didn't have pavement. They just walked on overtrodden dirt roads. And the only difference between a dirt road and a field that yielded a harvest is that somebody worked it. Somebody worked it. Every soil that is in the heart of man starts out as pavement, path, street, if you will. It will not yield what God wants it to yield until somebody does something to it. And this is your responsibility. Now, I might be able to help you on a given Sunday morning. Put a plow down in your soul So that the word that I'm talking about has better ability to root down on the inside. I might be able to help you. In fact, I'm going to do it now. If you feel like the soil of your soul is so impenetrable that there's no way that this word can get down on the inside, say this with me quietly. Lord, I repent. I want the word to go down. See how easy that was? Yeah, see, see, that works like that. Lord, I repent. I want the word to go down. I want the word to get planted in my soul. Because I don't want you to walk out of here. With the word on top of the soil, because it says, Jesus begins to explain in the balance of this chapter, that when the sower went out to sow the word and it fell on the path, the birds of the air came and ate it up because it stayed there in that the soil itself or the person had no understanding of what they were doing. No reason to really explain why the seed was coming to them.
They had not prepared their soul so that they could have life change. It was just a conversation. I'm begging you today, don't make your church experience just a moment where you hear a monologue. Let it be a time where you intentionally bust up the path of your heart that you might get the seed down on the inside. Because that's the only way it's going to do you any good. This is not about just clocking in for Sunday morning. It is about transformation in your life. I beg you, don't let it fall on the path of your soul. We are all responsible to cultivate the garden of our own heart. So or so, but hearts cultivate. They garden. They make sure that the soil upon which the seed is going to be sown is able to receive it well. If not, when you walk out of here, the birds of the air will take everything I just said. And though somebody might ask you, how was church today? Say, oh, it was great. What do you say? I don't know, but it was great. <laughs> birds of the air, you took it up immediately. Took it up immediately. Then you've got the stones, rocks, the seed that fell among the rocks. These are people that hear that word. Whoo, they love it. Boy, Tiffany and Rob, they were on today. The worship was dynamic. Pastor Brett, boy, last week was a seven. Today was a nine. He was amazing. By the way, I'm going to rate you sometime. <laughs> this is what you look at like I see you. You hear that word, it makes you excited. It was a great moment in your life. And then you go out and you encounter things. You encounter things that directly go against everything you just heard. If I preach a message on faith and how you believe God for healing, all of a sudden, next week you get a cold. If I preach a message on like today, ministering the gospel to somebody, you have an opportunity and fear grips your soul as soon as somebody opens the door for you to minister the gospel and you can't get the words out of your mouth because you're afraid you're going to offend them. You're going to have an opportunity to test everything that is said here. What do you do when that opportunity comes? Do you fade? Jesus said the word that was sown among the rocks, it didn't have enough root. It sprouted. It got excited. Joy came all over that seed because it had a little bit of soil, but not enough to sustain it. So that when the persecution came from the world system, everything that was about it just withered away because the root system wasn't able to sustain the life above. And if you do not get rid of the rocks in your life, you will not be able to sustain that which you hear. Joy might fill your soul for a moment, but you can't have a long-lasting, fruitful relationship with God unless you get these rocks out. Oh, and if you live in this area, if you've done any gardening in your life, you know there are rocks. If you've done any kind of, 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 of landscaping, you know there are rocks. And your builders don't get rid of them for you. They leave them there for you. I can't tell you how many plants that have just decided to die. You sit there, they last a year, second year, dead. What happened? I watered it, I fertilized it, you have no idea what happened until you dig it up. 
and try to plant a new one down in there. And your, 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 your spade hits something hard. You say, oh, shoot. And you don't know how big the rock is. But it's that red stuff that shale and clay mix together. And you, you pull it up, and it starts off little. But then, you, you, you know, you're leveraging the shovel, and it just gets big. And now a whole half of your yard is being lifted up as you're trying to pull up <laughs> this rock. Why did you leave this here for me? You could have taken this away. The, the, the bush had no way to get its root system beyond the rock. And so it was there for a minute. Then it died. Sometimes Christians don't last. They look real pretty, but they have no staying power because they can't deal with the persecution in this world because you've got to have root to endure the heat. You've got to have root to endure the heat. And stuff is coming. You are right around the corner from the most intense trial of your life. So am I. And I've got to make sure that my root system is deep enough it's going to be able to withstand it. I can tap into some water way down there. I'm close enough like in Psalms where it says, this man is like a tree that is planted by water because he, he meditates on the word day and night. I'm planted. I, I'm not in need of a shower. I don't need a good sermon to make me feel better today. I'm planted by the rivers of water and my root system is so deep in the word that I am nourished daily by what God is telling me from his scriptures. So that when the heat comes from the day, I can withstand it because my root system is deep and strong. But you got to get these rocks out. you got to get them out. And it takes vigilance to get the rocks out, diligence to get the rocks out, effort to get the rocks out. You don't want there to be an impediment to your, your seed gaining root in your soil. And it's all on you. I, you ask me, I'll help you pull out some rocks. My pastoral staff will help you pull out some rocks. But you have to identify them and want them out. Thirdly, the seed fell among the stickers. I needed an S, sorry. I needed an S. The thorns. This is where, this is where most believers are. They look real pretty. If you superimpose this passage with, with Mark, this passage says that the thorns choked it out. Mark says it became unfruitful, though it lived. And the, the thorns choking it out actually caused the unfruitfulness. And Jesus said, later on in his exposition of what this meant after the disciples asked, what, you, what does this mean? We don't understand your parables. He said, the thorns represent the worries and the cares of this world. Now, after I've done all the work in this garden, in my house, then the work begins. It's a day worth of turning over the soil, another day worth of planting, another three, four hours of building a fence around it so no wonderful little rabbits come and eat my stuff that I've worked hard for. And then it's probably three to four hours a week of watering and cultivation because there's stuff that I didn't plant that just shows up. Where do weeds come from? I mean, I know the answer. But why do they show up in my garden? There's a lot of earth. Lots of places where they can plant themselves. How come they show up there? Stuff I did not plant, I got to go take out. 
And, 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 and I've got to do it because it will take away from the nutrients necessary for that which I intended to plant to grow. And it won't, the things that I intended to plant will not produce as much as they could have because these weeds are sucking and, and, and pulling away the nutrients that are necessary to make my plants as healthy and optimal as they should be. And so I've got to go out every other day and just walk through my garden Picking up dandelions, crabgrass, clover, and all matter of things that I detest now. <laughs> Absolutely detest. If you want your tree to produce some fruit, you're going to have to be vigilant to make sure that you pick out the weeds on a daily basis. I would love for God just to show us individually what our garden of the soul looks like on a regular basis. Would it look like just a brush field someplace with, where nobody has really taken any time to work it? Would it look like something that you drive by on the highway and just say, that's a field over there, but it's just grass? Would it look like, or would it look like somebody took some planning to the soul? Somebody decided to architect this thing so that God could produce some fruit. What would your soul look like? Would it be full of godly plants that produced an abundant harvest on a regular basis? Or would we find dandelions and pretty little clover that are flowering and grass that has gone to seed? What would the garden of your soul look like? Daily, you need to get in there and pull weeds. If not, these thorns and thistles will grow and they will choke out the fruitfulness of your plant competing for the nutrients necessary. And as I said, I've got a sermon called Competition for, for Nutrients. And, and that's when, when the enemy knows where he can make stuff grow. This is why it's important to get in your word and to cultivate and to make sure you're pulling up weeds because if you are spiritually sensitive, the enemy can plant some things down on the inside and you don't even know it's the enemy. You might think it's God. The whole book of Galatians and, and both of the letters to Corinthians were all about well-intended Christians that did not garden their heart well. People that thought well about what, what God wanted to do but did not take the time to weed out all the stuff. And Paul had to tell the Galatians, you were running so well, who hindered you? What happened here? He says to the Corinthians, even if an angel comes and preaches a different gospel, I won't believe it. Don't you know that the enemy appears as an angel of light? This is why you've got to be careful because he knows where fertile soil is. You've got to tend your garden on a regular basis. The tending of your garden allows for there to be a singularity of purpose in, make, in making room for all the fruit that God wants to bear in your life by cultivating that one particular plant called the kingdom. Worries and cares. Worries about money. Worries about relationship, worries about health, worries about anything. They begin to choke out the fruitfulness. And anytime you begin to sense anxiety in your life or fear, that's when you need to know, oh, that's a sign from Almighty God that that plant of worry and fear needs to come out. And God wants to plant something in there that allows me the privilege of understanding how much he cares for me so that it grows into a plant that produces faith in my life about his provision. You've got to cultivate these things. You cannot let 
your garden just grow wild. Fourth, satisfactory soil. This produces 160 and 30 fold. Now, 100 fold was a bumper crop back then. Today, not so much because of our genetic engineering of seed. We've made one seed now produce somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 fold. You plant a corn seed in the ground, kernel of corn, it'll grow up and on an ear, on average, are 400 kernels back. Back then, 100 was a bumper crop. And I'm not quite sure. I know a couple of people today that are bumper crop Christians. Steve Merle's amazing. He is the international president for Every Nation Ministries, the organization under which this church finds its home. Family of churches, fabulous. That man is amazing. He started a church in 1984 in the Philippines with, with just him and his wife and a couple of short-term missionaries that left. And now he's got 78,000 people in one church. 78,000 people with 54 meetings on the weekend. 200 pastors. 26 different locations. An amazing man. And they're all building disciples. It is an amazing work. He's hundredfold. Paul's hundredfold. Peter's hundredfold. All the apostles were original apostles, hundredfold. If they're hundredfold, eh, 30 and below are us. The goal is this, to bring something back to God, something so that you make his planting you on the planet worth it. If you take a seed, put it in the ground, it grows up and it produces one thing, one seed. What do you think when you harvest? That three months wasn't worth it. I put one seed in the ground and one seed came up. That three months just wasn't worth it. Make God's planting of you worth it. Don't pass the glory with just you. Are you listening to me? Do not come into glory with just you. Leviticus is a passage that says, never appear before God empty-handed. Ever. Every Israelite had to bring something whenever they came before God. Something, anything, just don't come before me empty-handed. When you appear before me in glory, what are you going to bring? Nothing from this material world will pass. So you can't take your money, you can't take your cars, you can't take your possessions. What are you going to bring? Two things you ought to concentrate on. One, the fruit of character in your life. What we find is, as evidence of the character of God in, in Galatians chapter 5. Verse 22 and 23, for the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You need to produce that and say, God, I have formed your image in my life while I was on the planet the best way I know how. Thank you for giving me the privilege of doing this. Here is me looking more like you than when I came in the earth. You give them something. Secondly, you're able to bring some people behind you that you've actually won some people to Jesus. Now the reality is you can't win them. Only God can convert them. You share. You sow. But as a result of your sowing, God is the one that changes their heart. And they come up behind you because you were the one who shared. And I'm not quite sure why God does this, but he gives us credit for stuff he does through us. 
Yeah, but it's not unlike when, you, when your children get old enough to be cognizant that it's your birthday and they want to get you something, but they ain't got no money. So what do you do? You give them your own money to buy your own gift. And then when they present the gift to you, you say what? Thank you. <laughs> you say thank you. What is that? That's the way God is with us. We can't get him something on our own. And so he gives us some money so that we can present something to him. Don't waste his money. All he's done is empower you and bless you to help bring fruit back to him. Don't waste his money. Produce something for him. I don't care if it's just one seed planted, two up. Produce something for him. Make his planting you and leaving you here on the planet worth it. Produce something for him. Let's pray.